Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, friends. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I am very, very happy to have you. I got to say, I I was stunned during commercial break the amount of emails I got from people and Twitter conversation over this airline thing. Uh, let, let me let me see if I can uh, deal with this one just real quick because I, I actually don't want to drag this out. I'm happy to take calls on it, but the president and Congress are considering forcing airlines to allow families to sit next to each other more and more. I didn't actually even know this was a thing. I don't travel often with my family anymore. Uh, when they were smaller, I did, and it wasn't a thing, but in the last few years – as airlines have discounted the back of the plane more, one of the things that you discount with the back of the plane is you don't get to pick your seat. At first come, first serve, or some such like that. Uh, in some cases, if you're traveling with small kids, some airlines let you and your small children board first, but not in every case. I personally think it is rude and an inconvenience, not just to the parents but also to the random strangers who must otherwise sit with a child who is unaccompanied uh, because their parents in some other part of the plane. It's infuriating to me that airlines are forcing, if you want to do this, uh, you got to pay extra. And I, I don't think we should be charging families exorbitant fees to sit together on planes because the alternative is you're forcing essentially someone to babysit a child while their parent is in the back of the plane. Some people can afford to travel but can't afford the extra money. And it's also rude, I think, to the passenger who's not the parent to have to sit there and watch over a kid who is not their kid. Some of them won't, and some of them may have ill intent toward the kid. This is a horrible, horrible family, anti-family process and policy by a lot of airlines. And I understand they want to nickel and dime us for everything, but they're nickel and diming us for our bags. They have small overhead bins forcing you to pay. One of the most ridiculous things I think these days is because some airlines charge you if you want to check your bag. People are bringing their bags on the plane that don't fit, and then they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just put it in the back. No charge now that you've gamed the system. Other airlines have undone this. They figured that out. Uh, The whole process of... Uh, burdening airplanes. I think it's George Will who one time wrote that since since uh, their plane took off at Kitty Hawk till now, the airline industry has made a combined profit of five cents. It is a uh, terribly non-profitable business over the long term. And uh, there are people like, for example, I, I've got one guy who is saying, why not just choose seats in advance like those of us who care where we sit do? Well, that's just it. Uh, In some cases, in many situations, you can't, depending on the airline fee. Some airlines don't do that. Um, And it just, some airlines no longer allow you to do that without paying massive fees, if at all. I'm responding to this liberal who just thinks, well, I mean, everybody should be rich enough to be able to Some people can't. And I know plenty of people, by the way, who do get their tickets to try to keep their families available, and then they arrive at the airport, and the airlines have screwed everything up, and they separate the family and the kids. 
This has happened more than once to my producer, Charlie, where they try to cluster together on the plane, and then the airline separates them. They, they, they've got their tickets, but the airline has messed stuff up. It's, I, I'm sorry, y'all, but um, we as a country should value families. It's good public policy to value families, and our airlines should be incentivizing having parents stay with their children instead of having random strangers sit next to the kids um, and and having a babysit someone else's kid. It just it's a terrible idea. All right, now I can move on. Um, I just uh, stirred something up with that one, but I want to talk about Trump. <laughs> I don't actually want to talk about Trump. Um, I don't want to talk about him at all. But oh, this is related to Trump. Friends, it is somewhat hilarious to watch what is happening. The left has finally figured out that Alvin Bragg, the New York DA, may be in over his head and risks reelecting Donald Trump. And they're starting to freak out about it. The Daily Beast, among others, is starting to cry about this. There is actually a story. This is the headline uh, under their their uh, their their section called Trumpland. These people need Donald Trump. They have a section called Trumpland. But here's the headline. Manhattan DA insiders worry the Trump hush money case is weak sauce. Here is their fear. It is March 29th of 2023 as I am talking about this story. A prosecution wouldn't happen until probably the end of this year or the beginning of next year. And Donald Trump gets acquitted because it's a weak case. That, my friends, would help Donald Trump in an election. And Democrats are starting to worry about this. This is the Daily Beast. The indictment that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is currently seeking against former President Donald Trump over his payment to silence a porn star about their sexual affair is based on a crime that was so flimsy it was never viewed as a standalone criminal case, according to three attorneys who have worked on the investigation. These insiders spoke to the Daily Beast on the condition of anonymity because they're not authorized to discuss the ongoing criminal investigation. A grand jury may soon decide whether to indict Trump for faking business records and dodging campaign finance laws when he used his company, the Trump Organization, and his personal fixer, Michael Cohen, to quietly pay hush money to the adult film star, Stormy Daniels, to keep the revelations from derailing his campaign. But that criminal probe is just a small slice of a much more expansive criminal investigation into Trump's ties and lies to banks, insurance companies, and the government. Bragg's decision to bring back what has been deemed the zombie case surprised insiders. They are deeply, deeply concerned that if they pursue this case, it's such a bad case that they could help Donald Trump. Assistant district attorneys and their outside advisors are unclear about the novel approach and whether it would hold up in court. The DA's second version is even more of a stretch. This one involves attaching the business records charge to a bonkers underlying crime, viewing Stormy Daniels' attempt to sell her story on the eve of the election as her trying to extort Trump. 
One lawyer says uh, it's a somewhat awkward construction that would act as if Trump was, in effect, a blackmail victim. The final nail in the coffin, though, seems to come when Bragg inherited the case. The former DA, Cyrus Vance, thought it was too flimsy. Bragg says he couldn't see a world in which he used Michael Cohen as a witness to indict Trump. And yet here he is now using Michael Cohen. There's another story in New York Magazine also freaking out about this, how Michael Cohen's big mouth could derail the Trump prosecution because Michael Cohen has a problem. He can't tell the same story twice, get the, getting the same facts. Y'all, friends, I told you on Monday that this case should not be brought. David French in the New York Times thinks this case is a nonsensical case. And more members of the left are starting to realize what could happen. You run a flimsy case with Donald Trump. So the background, if you weren't here on Monday, let me explain this one to you real quick. The the charges against Donald Trump essentially cooking the books to cover up paying the porn star is a misdemeanor under New York law. To make it become a felony, and by the way, a misdemeanor, the statute of limitations have run. To make it a felony so you actually get jail time and expand the statute of limitations, you got to tie it to an underlying crime. The underlying crime the DA wants to use is to claim that this was a campaign finance violation, except campaign finance violations are a federal crime, not a state crime. And no federal prosecutor has chosen to prosecute this. So the DA wants to take the campaign finance statute, say it's a federal crime, even though no one prosecuted it, tie it to the cooking the books and say, look, here I've got my felony so I can get around the statute of limitations. It's never been done before in the history of this republic. No one at the state level has ever prosecuted a candidate for a federal campaign finance violation to rope in a state statute. This has not been done anywhere in this country ever in the history of the republic. And Alvin Bragg is considering doing it in New York City. It's never been done. It's never been tried. The closest it came was John Edwards in North Carolina, but it was a federal case, and it went to a jury, and the jury threw it out. Why? Because the federal government claimed that John Edwards arranged a payment from someone to, what's her name, Riley Hunter, I think her name was, uh, to cover up his affair with her and his love child so that it didn't affect his presidential campaign. And what the jury concluded was that it, it actually you couldn't determine whether it was to cover it up for campaigns or to cover it up and keep it from his family. And that would be Donald Trump's defense is that, of course, he paid for Stormy Daniels to shut up because he was afraid his wife would find out, not because the public would find out. And how do you tell which is which other than you want to throw him in prison? It wouldn't be a really fair trial. It's very plausible. He did it also to cover it up from his wife because he had a big, big prenup with his wife where she can't get a dime from him unless he committed adultery. So what are you going to do? And if you take it to trial and you drag it out and it gets to the election year and he gets found not guilty, suddenly he skyrockets in the polls. Alvin Bragg could get Donald Trump reelected president of the United States. The left, after weeks and months of trying to get the blankety blank, finally realizes that getting the blankety blank means they get him reelected. And they really don't want to reelect Donald Trump. 
it's all kind of delicious. It's, it's, it's really kind of funny. I mean, they, they have been so high on their own supply for weeks that, oh, I went back. They finally got him. They finally got him. This is what they're going to do. And now they started realizing, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's David French's column in the New York Times that explained it in elementary school terms for them to understand this is not smart, guys. This is not smart. I don't think it's a coincidence that David French's column comes out in the New York Times explaining the situation, and now the left's like, oh, my gosh, really? This is how they're trying to get him? He could get off. He could be found not guilty. That could help him. There's a huge freakout in all the – I mean, you've got people going to the Daily Beast from the left, from inside the DA's office, attacking the DA for trying to pursue this case, worried that it will help him. Friends? It will help Donald Trump. If he's found not guilty because of a really stupid case, it absolutely will help him. The DA seems to want to get Donald Trump reelected. The left, having finally realized that's what's happening, is starting to freak out. But here's the dirty little secret. Many members of the left-wing press who hate Donald Trump also want Donald Trump to get the nomination and possibly reelected. And the reason is because their readership, their profits, their subscriptions, their viewership, it all skyrocketed when Donald Trump was president. As much as they may hate Donald Trump, they realize Donald Trump is really, really good for their business. The more they can keep him around, the better. Uh, Joy Behar on The View this morning actually said that uh, it was to their advantage for Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee because he has the greatest chance of losing to Joe Biden. So some of them want him to be advanced so that they can beat him. And a lot of them, they don't care as long as he sticks around so they can make more money and get more viewers. I have not only converted my entire family to Bull and Branch sheets, but a lot of my friends as well, because I actually believe in them. You can feel the craftsmanship. And the amazing thing is that these sheets get softer every time you wash them. Don't believe me? Give them a try. Right now, you can get early access to Bull and Branch's spring sale. You use code ERIC, that would be my name, E-R-I-C-K, and get 20% off today at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Exclusions apply. See the site for details. I got to tell you guys, these sheets are designed for incredible night sleeps. They're made without toxins. They're free from synthetic pesticides, formaldehydes, harsh chemicals. They fit really deep mattresses, and I've got a thick mattress, and they don't shrink up, which is great. Take care of the sheets. The sheets take care of you, and you get a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And right now, use code ERIC to take 20% off today at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC. I have finally accomplished something I am excited about for next Friday for my Good Friday show. Uh, I have been trying. So one of the concerns that have been raised among listeners for a couple of years is that when I do the Good Friday show or the Christmas show, it is very often that I have just Protestant uh, theologians, particularly Reformed Protestant theologians on the show. So... I've been trying to get a particular Catholic priest uh, to to sit down and, and chat with me, and it, it just the I I got to know him and don't even know him well. Just follow him on Instagram. Friends of mine recommended it. Just the the dude is awesome. 
Uh, his name's Stephen Gadbury. He is a priest over in Arkansas. He was in the Air Force. Uh, he's a CrossFit instructor. Uh, he hunts. Uh, I, I think he described himself on Instagram as, uh, I hunt, I cuss, I work out, and I'm a priest. <laughs> Um, so we're actually, we're going to record a phone call this afternoon. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. He works with word on fire ministries within the Catholic church. Uh, he's also got a a compelling story. When he was a kid, his father and his older sister were killed in a car crash, um, grew up without his dad and, uh, finished high school and went off to the air force, uh, actually served in Iraq and came back, went to seminary and has become a priest in Arkansas. Uh, where he actually has a ministry into the Hispanic families in Arkansas, among other things. So really, I'm excited to have this. I've tried, we have tried and tried now for about a year and a half to finally connect and and let me talk to him about um, Holy Week from a Catholic perspective, among other things. And I'm just, I'm kind of excited. I finally got the email from him and said, yeah, can we do it? This afternoon, I got time. So between his working out and hunting, he's got some time. (laughs) Okay, we got to move on. Um, I, I'm going to return when we return. I don't I don't want to, but I feel like I got to. I think I need to, to the gun issue, which I'm kind of exhausted by already, but I think it's necessary. Right now, however, there's an interesting story out in the Hill. This is a uh, report on a survey from Monmouth University which had a pretty good track record in 2022. Monmouth University kind of dialed in on 2022, and and a lot of people, myself included, were like, I think they're off, and they're not showing the conservative wave I know is coming, and they're like, there's not going to be one, and we were all like, that's not true, and it turned out they were right and we were wrong. Only one in four Democrats want Joe Biden to run for re-election in 2024. 25% of Democratic respondents say they want Biden to run for re-election in 2024. 44% say they believe Biden should step aside and let another person in the party run, and 30% say they have no preference. When a quarter of the Democrats, a a quarter of the Democrats want him to run and 44% don't, that's a pretty damning indictment on the state of play for the Democratic Party right now. Here's the problem. Who would they get if not him? Do they go with, uh, what's his name, um, um, blah, 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 Gavin Newsom? He'd be too far left for most of the nation. Do they go with Kamala Harris? Democrats think she's too incompetent to run. Do they go with Elizabeth Warren, too old and angry? Uh, who do they go with if they don't have Joe Biden? That's the problem. They don't have anyone. They don't have anyone. Buttigieg, after all these disasters, a non-starter. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Of course, you know he is going to run again. He is going to be the nominee. And if it's not Trump on the GOP side, he probably loses. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-972-7425. All right. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. We must go where maybe some of us wish we would not go. Let's talk about guns. Guns in America. Uh, yesterday, I got a comment on my Substack from someone lamenting lack of gun control, talking about the AR-15 and how it was the military M16 that became the civilian AR-15, and it can fire 700 rounds a minute. 
it is technically true that a fully automatic AR-15 is a machine gun can fire hundreds of rounds a minute. As a civilian gun, semi-automatic with magazines, it's not actually going to happen. It's not actually going to happen. What is notable, however, is that um, the misconception that the AR-15 was originally the M16. Actually, that's exactly the opposite. Most people don't know this, but uh, Armalite made the AR-15 back in the 1950s as a civilian rifle, and it was in 1962 that the military embraced the civilian AR-15 and asked if it could be modified into the military's M16 and made automatic. It was a civilian rifle before it was a military rifle. Most people think it's the opposite. Uh, Armalite was bought, I think, was it by Smith and Wesson? Um, and uh, ultimately, it became a um, the patents expired, and now the AR-15 model is mass produced. It's the most popular long barrel rifle in the country. Uh, the media talks about the power that it has, depending on the round that you put in it. But the reality is that, um, like, I wanted to take mine deer hunting and all my, I've never been deer hunting before. I said, I I got an AR and all my friends like, you need something more powerful than that to hunt a deer. It doesn't mean it's not powerful, but it's misunderstood by a lot of people who see it. They believe it was a military rifle turned into civilian use. And actually, it's a civilian rifle that was modified to become a military rifle. You can get extended magazines for it. Typically, it holds 25 rounds in a magazine. You can get some that hold 50 or more. I have handguns in my home, and typically in a handgun, the magazines hold 10 bullets or so. You can get extended magazines that hold 25 or more. But... People on the left say the issue is the guns, that other countries don't have the violence that we have in this country because they don't have guns. Just for purposes, for the sake of argument, let's just say, okay, you're right. Other countries do not have the gun violence that we have in this country. And other countries are not so often seeing their children go to school and wondering if their children will come home alive that afternoon. For the sake of argument, let's just concede all of that for a moment, just for the sake of argument. Some of you don't want to, but for the sake of argument, let's let's do that. What these other countries also do not have that our country has is a Second Amendment. There continue to be calls from members of the media for a gun buyback program ban the AR-15 and buy back all the guns. Now, never mind that that's not going to happen. It's also more likely than not not constitutional. Now, they'll say, well, the assault weapons ban in the 1990s, uh, they did it, they passed it, but that was before the Heller decision. That was before a a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. 
you risk doing this and having to go to the Supreme Court and say, nope. You know, Joe Biden brings up this all the time that uh, the Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to own a cannon. Actually, the Second Amendment does give you the right to own a cannon, and there's case law on that. You have the right to own a cannon. You got cannonballs? Good for you. I, I know people who own cannons. They don't use them regularly, but they own them and they fire them on holidays. The Second Amendment gives you the right. We have historic documented ownership of private individuals in this country owning cannons. You can think that's absurd, and and a lot of you do think that's absurd. But it doesn't matter because it's true. So what do we do? I think a lot of people outside the largest, loudest voices would say, yeah, there should be a law that if you are diagnosed suffering from a mental illness, you should not be allowed to own a gun. Uh, that idiot, Sonny, what's her name on The View today, said that she's so opposed to Republicans making this about mental illness because she has a lot of mentally ill people in her family, obviously herself included, it seems to me. Uh, she's an idiot, though. I don't know that mental illness means you're an idiot. But nonetheless, so she's got a lot of people in her family suffering mental illness, and uh, they're not out uh, shooting up schools. It's about the guns, not the mental illness, except we don't find many sane people showing up at schools shooting up the schools. Time and time again, it's someone suffering mental illness. So let's say we pass a law that says if you're mentally ill, you can't own a gun. If you've been diagnosed with or under treatment for mental illness, you cannot purchase guns. I think most proud Second Amendment supporters would say that would be a good idea. Let's get that passed. But gender dysphoria is in the DSM. And transgenderism is an expression of gender dysphoria. So now can transgender people buy guns? Aha, a little more complicated than you thought it was. So we just ban the guns. Well, you can't. The Heller decision says you have a constitutional right to own handguns, so you can't ban the handgun. Historically, the constitutional right applied to rifles, so you're not going to be able to ban rifles. Do you ban rifles with magazines? Maybe you can ban rifles with magazines, except in common usage. These rifles and handguns use magazines, so the odds are the judges won't let you. So what do you do? My point here is to suggest to all the grieving people who are angry and want to do something, I know you do, but it's more complicated than you think. And the rush to just blame Republicans and say, if only they would go along with it, precludes the fact that there are multifaceted ways to look at it. Yes, you can say other countries don't have this problem, but those other countries don't have the Second Amendment. And if you want to get rid of the Second Amendment, you need two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states to do it, and good luck with that. So you're not going to get rid of the Second Amendment. You're not going to get rid of the right to keep and bear arms. You may be able to get rid of assault weapons, so-called assault weapons, but you're not going to get rid of shotguns and you're not going to get rid of handguns. We have more guns in this country in civilian control than the military does. We have more guns in this country than we have people. 
So I guess my issue is, is there anything we can find some common agreement on? Because I think you would find common agreement from most gun owners in this country that people struggling with mental health issues shouldn't have the ability to buy guns. But if we do that, who's to determine the mental health issue? Because gender dysphoria is in the DSM. And there's now a movement among transgender activists to say that gender dysphoria and transgenderism are two different things, even though technically it's not. But I think you could probably get a law passing people diagnosed with suffering from and, and not, not being certified by doctors as being through a mental health issue shouldn't buy guns. You could probably get that. What about expanded background checks? Well, right now you have to buy a gun. You have to go through a background check. And a lot of people think because the Democrats say expanded background checks that that matters. Um, a three-day waiting list, a, a three-day period. you got to buy your gun and you can't pick it up for three days. That wouldn't have stopped what happened in Nashville. That wouldn't have stopped what happened in Uvalde. It wouldn't have stopped what happened in Newtown. It wouldn't have stopped what happened in Parkland. So that's what you want. It wouldn't actually do anything. I don't mean to play devil's advocate or advocate or, or ag- aggravate you. When we have these tragic situations, everyone becomes very emotional. And I totally understand the emotion. I did not know those who died, but I know people who knew them well, who are even now packing their bags to prepare for a drive to Nashville to go to a funeral. But in our emotions, when people want to just do something, oftentimes they propose things that sound good but are not thought through. I'll tell you something that I suspect we could do. Our federal government allocated a bunch of money to hire 87,000 IRS agents. Could we not pull that money back and redirect that plus some to fund security officers for schools? We have a lot of retired veterans and a lot of parents who just want to make themselves useful, who could be trained and and placed there, security guard, armed to protect the students, trained to their military training to charge in where others flee. Retired Nashville police officers who clearly, unlike the people in Uvalde, know how to take action and, and go where angels fear to tread. Could we not agree to that? I saw someone who's on the left say, absolutely not. We don't have enough money to pay teachers. Why are we going to pay security guards? So you, you don't want to pay the security guards. You want, to, you want to do the thing that you probably cannot do as opposed to doing the thing that you probably could do. Yes, in this situation, at, at the uh, school in, in Nashville, it's a private school, so it would not be able to take advantage of the money. But private schools around the country are now undoubtedly today doing assessments on how they need to beef up their security and what they need to do to solve security problems like this school had glass side doors and the shooter shot through the glass side doors and was able to get inside. Probably those glass side doors are going to go away. I know a lot of private schools have uh, put in steel reinforced doors. More public schools have as well. 
Can we not boost funding for security enhancements of schools? Can we not boost funding for security guards? And I realize emotionally you say, but we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to do this. No, we should not have to do this. But if frogs had wings, they wouldn't bump their butts when they jumped. And because they bump their butts when they jump, they don't have wings. And we have a Second Amendment and more guns in this country than we have people already. And people can buy guns, and we're not going to stop them because we're not going to repeal the Second Amendment. So can we at least fund security officers for our schools? Take the emotion out of it and ask what we can do. You can't repeal the Second Amendment. You don't have the votes. You can't pass an assault weapons ban because you don't have the votes, and it probably would be held unconstitutional at this point given the court. But you probably could get conservatives to agree that people battling mental health in a diagnosed clinical fashion shouldn't be able to go out and buy a gun. And you undoubtedly could get conservatives to pull back the funding of IRS agents and instead fund security at schools. Do you want to do that? Do you want to make progress or do you want to emote and continue to emote the next time there's a shooting as well because there wasn't an armed security officer there to stop the shooter? It's on question for you. Now, one of the entities out there that supports conservatives and supports the Second Amendment and supports the pro-life movement and supports getting conservatives elected against the wokes. It's called Patriot Mobile. And the only thing you have to do to support them is move your cell phone plan to them. All you got to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Patriotmobile.com slash Eric. And you move your cell phone service to them. They get guaranteed great service. You're probably already using the same cell towers that Patriot Mobile uses. And you can even take your existing phone number and move it to them. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You can also call them at 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. Not only do you get free activation, you get great discounts. You're a veteran, first responder, an RA member, a teacher. You got a multiple lines for a lot of kids who need cell phones. Patriotmobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Get free activation. Do business with a cell phone company that shares your values and actually wants your business. You get that guaranteed great service. You get to keep your phone number, and you get Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I, I've been dying to play for you this clip, and <laughs> clip as in video clip, as in not a magazine that Democrats call a clip when they talk about gun control. This is John Kerry. He was asked about all the people flying private planes, going to Davos, and uh, flying around the world. Listen to the arrogance of this man. Private aviation is, is an example of something where people are starting to pay more attention. And, um, but when uh, you know, people who go to Davos to talk about climate change fly private, it seems like they don't want to make... Um, well, they actually, I've talked to them about it. They offset. They yeah. buy offsets, they offset, and they are working harder than most people I know to be able to try to affect this transition. Right. <laughs> so they buy indulgences. That's what it's called. It's an indulgence. Your get out of sin card. You 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 buy an indulgence. They call it an offset. We're 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 planting trees in Brazil to offset our carbon. No, they're not. It's such a scam. 
uh, and, and they're working harder than most people. You get that? This is the arrogance of a man who doesn't want to give up his project. I want to fly private. I, I, I want to go out. I, I, I picked it out. I want a Cessna Longitude, which is a reasonably priced, reasonably priced $24 million plane, uh, and, and let Priority Jet manage it for me. I actually want to fly on it. Anybody got a Longitude I can borrow? I want to check one out. I want to fly private. I want to have enough money to fly private and stop getting yelled at while I'm peeing at the airport, which happens. Uh, but I won't be thinking I'm some virtuous soul for doing it. No, I'll be flying over the rest of you laughing that you're stuck in line at TSA getting your prostate checked while I'm on board my plane. I really want to do this. The idea, though, this arrogant idea that these people work harder than you and care more than you and have the money to pay indulgences called offsets so that they get the privilege of flying their polluter jet is it should be offensive to everyone. This is the thing that gets me. I think more and more people realize worldwide, not just in this country, how so many of the wealthy elite really do look down on everyone else, not just as they're flying by, but when they're in their private limousine uh, looking at the, the, the pores along Manhattan, along Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. They live in a world unlike the rest of us, and they demand that we make the sacrifices they themselves will not make. It is the hypocrisy of it all. It is Animal Farm, where the pigs and the farmers began to look more and more alike, and, and the poor pigs... The unequal, equal pigs could not tell the farmers from the negotiator management pigs. It just, this is what's going on. And people realize because of social media, because of our interconnectedness, they realize these days so many of the wealthy preach a gospel they do not believe. They preach a message of environmental renewal they refuse to practice. We've got a sacrifice so they can live their comfortable lives, and people have had enough. It undermines their entire agenda, and having John Kerry be the face of it is marvelous because he exposes that hypocrisy through his idiocy every single time he speaks.